Welcome back to the podcast. In this one, I have my friend Matteo Rossini. He is a movement trainer, a hot on it and breath hype coach, as well as a steel mace specialist. He lives here in Austin, Texas, and focuses on coaching people into physical, mental, spiritual transformations. We delve deep into just being the greatest force for good and being an impact maker. Mateo shares himself radically and authentically in this podcast. He has a self-made mantra of being a force for transformation, embodying execution, and pushing towards resistance. This man loves to grow and become the best that he can be. It definitely shows in this podcast. And it was awesome talking with him. This man loves to flex his weirdness muscle and go out there and try things that make him feel uncomfortable. Learn through unconventional ways of expansion and growth and share that with others. He really is someone that just loves to embody new ways of being so that others can show up and meet him at where he's at when they're ready. So we talk a lot about breath work, cold therapy, working with these different tools. We talk about how through living an unconventional life, we are capable of amplifying our own personal magic. And this episode provides a lot of insight into connecting with new tools and transforming yourself. Speaking of transformation, I currently have availability for three new clients. I am stepping up as a performance coach. And if you want to perform better in your life, better in the way you connect with others, especially yourself and my background with slacklining and highlining and all of these tools may be of your greatest service. And I'm happy to share them with you. So I've been coaching since May. And it's been just medicine for me and for my clients. And I'm in a place now where I'm ready for new clients, ready to increase my bandwidth and the way that I serve. So if you feel the call, reach out on Instagram or Facebook. Both of those work and enjoy the podcast. Much love. We, uh, we've had a wonderful day together so far. You invited me to do some hot on it, move the body, sweat, get some of that therapy. And then we dropped in for some cold therapy, did a few rounds of Wim Hof. And now we're up here, man, doing the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad you reached out. Yeah. Yeah, likewise. Um, so I'm going to take this first question from Eric Gazi. He inspired me. And essentially... You've had a full day of flow and someone comes up to you and they ask you, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, I am a force for transformation. I embody execution and I push towards resistance. I love it. I love it. Could you elaborate on some of that? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so that's a, that's a <clears throat> mantra that I crafted for myself uh, that comes from a practice of self-authoring where I took kind of what my dream ideal future would look like, wrote it out, broke it down into actionable steps, took those actionable steps uh, and broke them into sub goals for how I would actually get there. And then out of all of those, broke all of that information down into almost like a mantra or mission statement for what kind of person I have to be in order to achieve those sub goals that will get me to the life that I want to live. And that's the mantra that I crafted. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. So what is, what is that person that you want to be? Like, what does that look like? You know, I want to be somebody, and I think, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think this is something that is commonly shared in our society. I want to be someone who leaves an impact, you know, somebody who does good. I think we're very much bred to want to be the heroes of our own story. Um, and I hope to be the kind of person that looks back on my life at the end and not just have a life that's filled with fun experiences, but have a life where I uh, am happy with what I gave to the world, where mm -hmm. I feel like I brought forth what I was meant to do with myself here. Uh, whatever that may be, whatever calling is inside me that I'm here for, because I do believe that we are here to bring something forth, each of us individually. And um 
and be ashamed to get the, to the end of your life and feel like you hadn't done that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I think we all have within us that call of our highest potential, that call to adventure and service and, you know, just becoming the greatest versions of ourselves. And it might be because we're in like very similar tight knit circles that focus on development and it just tends to flourish or it also could just be the lessons of the time. And that's what a lot of us are, um, you know, coming to, to understand and learn through and want to get back. Yeah. It's, it's prevalent. It's prevalent among a lot of us. Um, sometimes I get a little skeptical and I wonder if that's not a, and not a, a projection or an illusion that we're overlaying on ourselves. And is it a, a sense of self-importance? If that's not a, like a trick of the ego that it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm the one who's going to save the world. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. But again, I wouldn't <clears throat> want to live any other way because I don't feel like any other way would fulfill me. Um, now that I've had that story put in my head, anything less would leave me feeling empty. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where like, even if there's a little bit of ego involved, you can honor that. Yeah. You can step up and be the hero of your own life and your own journey, but that doesn't mean that you have to be, uh, the Messiah that's going to completely change the world, but you can be a part and parcel of the grand human community that is actually able to, you know, solve a lot of these problems that we're experiencing. And it's not everybody, right? Like I know a lot of people who don't think that way. Like my ex-girlfriend, for example, she, um, you know, she wants to affect the people around her. She wants to show up for the people around her. She wants to, you know, definitely leave a good impact. She's a, a life changer in her own way, but she doesn't have the drive to have like a, a monumental worldwide impact that I do that is like, you know, I want, even if my name is not attached to it, I want the effect that I have on the world to be substantial. Yeah, totally. It's like, <laughs> at the end of the day, when you're taking your final breaths, you can die knowing that you gave more than you take. Mm-hmm. You took. Yeah. And, and I really, I really resonate with that. That's, that's how I would like to end my life. And I would like to be one of those people that can have a really big impact on the world, even if that doesn't mean it's the majority of the population, but I would like to positively affect everything that my consciousness is able to touch. Familiar with the metaphor of Indra's web? No, I'm not. Super interesting concept. It comes from, I think it's a Indian, Indian of origin, but it's the, the, the idea is that there's this web of gems and like each of the gems shines a light and the light of each of that gem shines onto the gems all around it and then reflects to all the gems all around it. It's pretty much a metaphor for like the butterfly effect and the fact that like by you just smiling at one person, that person may go and have like be a little nicer to their child and that child might not bully the kid at school who then because they didn't get bullied grows up to be the president who ends up to change the world. So I take a lot of comfort in knowing that even if I don't see directly the effect that I had, um, it's possible that the rippling waves of the day-to-day decisions that we make have a much grander impact than we might notice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like our human minds and the ego can only really wrap itself around a certain level of comprehension before like it just can't be explained. Like there's un- ineffable things that happen. And I feel that that interest effect, the ripple effect that goes out from being positive or kind to just one person and extending to many more people is completely possible. Even if we don't see it. Yeah. I take solace in that knowing that there's more than one way to change the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when there's almost like a billion of us, like, it seems kind of silly to think that the ways in which to change the world are going to be a one size fits all sort of solution. It seems like we're all supposed to play a different part in a changing, which we want to see. And my particular calling at the moment is 
definitely different than a lot of other things. You know, I feel very drawn towards trying to popularize some more unconventional modalities of transformation. Um, because I feel like we have so many amazing tools from like the breath work to the cold, to the movement. And there's, there's a stigma against a lot of it. And almost like uh, looking at it as weird, like just as simple as like stretching in public, you know, that's something that like people won't do because they're afraid what other people will think of them. And I feel like that's my personal flag to carry. Like, can we, can we make breath work so commonplace that like, you know, people are taking ha breaths in public and people and everyone else around them is like, okay, and I know where you're at. And someone's in the middle of a line of whole foods and they start to hit a deep lunge stretch. It's like, like I want to live in that world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to aim for I, I feel the exact same way. That would be so awesome. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, have you ever hit some reverse lunge stretches in the whole foods? Dude, I make a habit of exercising my weirdness muscle. It's something that I, you know, I think it's the number one trait that I respect in people is the ability to be weird because I look at weirdness as a expression of your authenticity juxtaposed against cultural expectation. Mm. Right. And I think that's one of my superpowers, which is why I'm like able to lead breath work classes because I can get up there and be the weirdo who's like, all right, we're all being weird guys, right? Cool. Yeah. And then other people can kind of follow that lead and let their own authentic weirdness come out. But we said like the first person to start the dance at the dance party and like be the first one on the dance floor, that motherfucker has my respect. Like that's a trait I really look up to. Yeah. And it's, it's that same thing as the Indra's effect. Like oftentimes you'll see one person dancing on the dance floor and if they're just giving it their all, like it's infectious. It makes you want to get on the dance floor too. Yeah. I saw this one video online where like one person was just going after it dancing. And then like eventually all of these people started to join until there was like at least a hundred people just all dancing. All I think around I saw that same video. Person. It was at a festival, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was a dope. That's exactly what I'm talking talking about man that video is dope i want to be that guy (laughs) yeah yeah and it's just like it's a reminder of the infectious power of positivity and just being Mm -hmm. yourself yeah so what are some of these tools that you feel called to popularize popularize yeah the breath is big for sure you know i look at the breath almost like an instrument that can be used to regulate our state in a lot of ways and um I've been like this for a long time. You know, I can, I've always felt like I can kind of read someone's mood from the way they breathe. And like, you know it too, but some people will deny it. You know, when people are just like, oh, it's like, what's wrong? Like, you know, like something's going on. There's some energy that's coming out in the form of that breathing. And I've found that if we can kind of turn our, I, I really think one of the big secrets to life is turning our, oh, into, you know, mm-hmm. So I think that's big, right? That's a, that's a component of it all. Um, movement, uh, obviously like, you know, the pharmacological aids that have become more mainstream lately, um, from like MDMA psychoassisted therapy and, you know, like particularly what fascinates me is the combinatory potential of these things. So the MDMA by itself without intention is one thing. But when you take it and use it specifically for people who are dealing with PTSD under like specifically conditioned uh, psychiatric assistance, it becomes a whole nother thing. And then like, how can we stack these tools together in unique potentials to like maximize what they can do? Um, I have a vision almost of like a uh, an end goal where we have all these tools put together for anything from uh, an ice bath to a massage work to a therapist to, um, you know, 5-MeO-DMT to, and just all these tools in one container where, and we, we really know how they interact with each other well enough that we could take somebody and like, if we know where you're starting at, let's just say depression to keep it simple, even though it's a complicated thing that we're putting a word on top of. And we know where they want to go well enough. We could almost like plug them through this experience engine to get them to the other side. It's almost like a spiritual boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual boot camp. Nice. Yeah. I like that. 
Was there a, um, a turning point within your life that really brought you to breath work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember which came first. My first real breath work experience was at my yoga teacher training. We did this, uh, bioenergetic practice, although I didn't know it by that name at the time. And I don't remember if I first found Elliot Hulse. Do you know who Elliot Hulse is? No. He's an interesting character. Um, he's a big popularizer of like Osho meditation and dynamic expression, which essentially looks like fucking shaking and screaming and uh, just kind of breaking up the neurotic holding patterns energetically inside of us by being really fucking weird. It's like um, Kundalini and Tantra. Right. Very similar, yeah. Um, or I don't know if it was the Wim Hof first. I don't know what was my first exposure, but my first experience was definitely at yoga teacher training. And we did this thing where we, it was a bioenergetic release where we were breathing and we were just screaming, just fuck. And it was like an hour straight of just, I my dad, I am enough, just blindfolded the whole time. Um, and I remember coming out of that, taking my fucking blindfold off, just being like, whoa, like, there, the world needs this. And like being so just incredibly amazed that this was a thing that could even be done. And I remember my teacher at the time, he was like, yeah, we did this every day for 30 days straight. And I was just like, what? Like that was the most incredible experience I've ever had in my life. Like, and you did this every day for 30 days. What was that like? He's like, it just gets deeper, man. You just, you start to feel more <laughs> yeah. and more and more layers away. And, um, so that was probably my first introduction. Yeah. We did a lot of interesting things at that yoga teacher training. We would do like a different, almost like ritualistic ceremonial practice at the end of every week. It's also my first cacao ceremony. Cool. Yeah. Were those predominantly the, um, what the ceremonies were, were cacao ceremonies? No, the cacao ceremony was actually interesting. That wasn't part of the program, but one of the people who was doing the yoga teacher training with me was familiar with it. And he like felt really strongly that like he needed to share cacao ceremonies with us. And I, I didn't even know you could get fucking high off chocolate. Like I had no idea, man. And he like went out of his way to like find cacao and like, like went into town and like hunted down somebody who had it. And we went out to this. Uh, it was a really sick place, man. There was like the retreat center and then there was the organic farm that like made all the food for the retreat center. And the organic farm had this like nice ceremonial setting and we like brought speakers out there and we did a cacao ceremony. And I remember, um, just being like, just like chugging the shit and like other people had half finished cups and be like, I'm going to get yours. <laughs> and by the end of the night, man, I was wired off cacao. I remember holding this little cat and just petting it and being like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like it, it really was a powerful thing. It, it was. And for those who have, you haven't experienced cacao, cacao is uh, like ceremonial grade chocolate. I know you know what it is, um, but they've been using it in like Peru and South American countries for hundreds of years. Um, and its effects are best described as like heart opening. Mm -hmm. It's almost like Molly without the physical sensation to it, but it is, does have an invigorating, uh, like cardiovascular component to it that makes it really great to dance to. And it's just amazing that you can get that from chocolate. Yeah. Most of the time, if I wanted to like dance or party and I just like, wouldn't want to drink or smoke weed or do anything else. Uh, cacao was always my go-to. I would just, yeah. um, I had a friend in Nicaragua that had a bunch of ceremonial grade cacao because she has an organic farm out there and she like brought someone. She came back to Texas and shared it with me. I so need to get some more cacao, man. Yeah. I would just make a bunch of order that. some after this. bro. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like, it makes such a big difference. And now like I have some other cacao and it's really easy to just start the day with as opposed to coffee. Yeah. But I feel the same way. Like I didn't realize how good of medicine that was. Or what it could open up. I just thought it was chocolate. Because the stuff you get at the supermarket is not the same shit. Like, they'll sell cacao at the supermarket, but it's it's not it's not the real deal. Yeah, it, most of the time it has a bunch of sugar. And then, like, a lot of, like, milk chocolate is just cocoa. It's not cacao. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really cool. So, what um what got you into, like, On It and Steel Mace and all these other tools? Man, I was listening to Joe Rogan when I went to college like back in the day when it was like him and brian redband and it was like podcast episode like 20 or something he's on like 1700 now 
Um, but there was a point when I was like one of the first people listening to Joe Rogan and, um, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast, like many people was incredibly formative for the person that I was, not just because of Joe Rogan, but because of all the minds that he brought on. Like my first exposure to Jason Silva. I remember the first time Jason Silva was on Joe Rogan's podcast. He had this like 10, like 30 second rant at the beginning where he quoted like eight different people. And I remember just like pausing, looking that person up and like going down a rabbit <laughs> hole of them and then pausing, going to the next person, like going down a rabbit hole of them. So Jason Silva, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Sam Harris, just like all these amazing thinkers that I got exposed to through that, like were very, very formative. And, you know, it's cool that we're doing a podcast here today, man, because uh, it just shows how wide that I've always had this want to uh, make like a graphic visualization of Joe Rogan's impact on podcasting, where it starts with like his head in the center and there's like a clock at the bottom where it's like episode one, episode two, episode three, with like a timeline. And then it's like, as he has guests on, they like pop up and connect to his head. And then like, as the timeline continues, whenever those guests start their own podcast, like they branch off with the guests that they have on. And then you just like would see this visualization of this map of all these amazing minds that Joe Rogan has influenced and connected. Yeah, it's almost like the Indra effect, but just based Maybe, on the podcast. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. Super cool. Yeah, I've, I've, always, I've had that idea for years of wanting to make that graphic. So what um, was it like Joe Rogan, listening to Joe Rogan that got you into on it and understanding that and yeah. then like the Steel Mace and all these other tools? Yeah, Joe Rogan, listening to Aubrey. Yeah. And then I came here and... Uh, yeah, being here, like, well, I came out here to be near, near on it because there just wasn't people like that where I was, you know, and I needed it. So I took a leap of faith and just left behind everything that I knew, uh, and just came out here not knowing anybody. And was like, I'm going to work at Black Swan. Well, no, actually, I should tell you this story. This is a good story. So I came to visit Austin, um, I was working at a yoga studio out in California, helping to manage it and run it. Um, and there was a girl that I was working with who moved out to Austin, Texas. And I'd heard good things about Austin, right? Everybody says Austin's amazing. So I was like, come visit you. So I came out here for a week. And while I was here, I'm like, I gotta go, gotta go to On It, right? Um, and while I'm at On It, I'm like really, like, really excited, you know, like, wow, fucking On It. So, and like, after being here for three and a half years, it's so like, you get adapted and jaded. Totally. You're like, oh, it's on it. But back then it was like, oh, on it, right? And I'm in there and someone's like, yo, you got to go take Noah's breath hype class. And I was like, I kind of do a lot of breath work. I don't like, you know, I'm, good. I'm trying to see on it. And they were like, no, go take Noah's breath work class. So I'm like, okay, go take Noah's breath work class. It's a Westgate. And, and I roll up and outside there's a circle of like, 15 people, girls, uh, a bunch of guys, a couple girls, they're all smoking weed right before they go in. And I'm like, okay, this is unique because I was leading breathwork workshops out in California, but there was nobody like my age doing it. Uh, like, there just wasn't people like my age doing that, what I was doing. Um, so I was like, whoa, this is cool. There's like other people my age out here like doing this. And then we went in and we did this breath hype experience, which was like really potent and powerful. And I had one of these breakthrough clarity download moments when we were doing one of the holds. It was like, you need to be here. This is where you need to be. And I remember coming out of that at the end of the class and being like, I'm going to move here to like Noah and Priscilla were the two people there. I'm like, I'm going to move here and I want to work at Black Swan. And of course they were probably like, okay, man, cool. <laughs> like, but they were supportive. Yeah, like, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, cool. Do it. And I like set that intention. I went back home, spent like six more months saving up money and like getting ready. Um, and then just, you know, came out here not knowing anybody with the intention that like, I'm going to work at Black Swan Yoga. And it didn't happen right away. It took a good three, four months of me just like trying to find a way to like get in just showing up to on it every day, just being there every day and going to all the classes and event. And, you know, I, I, I got I, the person I was living with when I first came here, took me to JJ's class, introduced me to JJ. And then I was training with JJ at Bang Muay Thai. And one day after J after Bang Muay Thai, I'm like, JJ, man, like I really want to work at Black Swan. What do I have to do? <laughs> 
And he was like, okay, Jamie's teaching a class right now. Like, I'm like, right now? He's like, right now. Go take her class right now. I teach the class after. I'll introduce you to her. Jamie's the manager. Was the manager at the time. Um, so I sprint out of there. Run, take Jamie's class. At the end of class, I'm like, hey, Jamie, Jeff, JJ sent me over here. Here's my resume. JJ comes in. He's like, yeah, this is Mateo. And I was just lucky through serendipity and through intention and through showing up that somehow I manifested and, you know, I made that dream come true. Um, and now I'm teaching the breath time classes, yeah. which is a trip, man. Life works in crazy ways when you take leaps of faith and really follow the calling and show up. For reals, though. And it's really interesting how, like, through all of these things, um, you know, seeds are planted and then they end up coming full circle. And coming to fruition. So, like, for example, listening to podcasts back when you were, you know, just like a few years ago when you were in college. And eventually, like, now you've done a few podcasts and you're sitting for this one. And same thing with just feeling that call to come out to Austin and then pushing yourself to get into Black Swan. And now you're actually, like, probably one of the best coaches and a leader within that space. Yeah, and I think it's important to emphasize that it wasn't easy. Like, you know, we talked about asking people about their struggles and what they're going through. And, you know, I fucking struggled, man. Like, I had $10,000 saved. I went, I spent all that money. I was broke. I was working every job I could for fucking pennies. I was working at event staffing gigs for, like, 12-hour shifts for, like, $10 an hour. Um, just, like, trying to scrape by, trying to make it depressed, lonely. I didn't know anybody, like... But it worked out, you know? Yeah. And how long would you say living in Austin before, like, things really started to turn around for you? It was a good three months, at least. Okay. Three, four months. Yeah. Yeah, it took me probably about the same time, too. Huh. Did mean, you come out here alone as well? Yeah, I knew a few people in the Slackline community, but for the most part, I moved out here alone. And I also moved out here for on it. Yeah. I just felt a really strong call when I was on a high line in Northern California. It was like a 700 foot long high line and I was 50 feet away from like walking the whole thing without falling. And I just had this really strong download of information. Like the next step in my human development was to move to Austin and train on it and work towards being a professional athlete for their pro team. There is some sort of machine elves up in the sky just picking people up <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> grateful for those machine elves let me tell you yeah um and it's been a trip man and like there's been a lot of struggle and like burning through money and just like making ends meet and um yeah it has not been sunshine and rainbows for the most part it's been a lot of like some really good highs and then some really deep dark lows but all for the best i would not change any of it yeah what um can you share a sense situation that has occurred in your life that gives insight into your character oh, oh man or situation. a uh, or a struggle that you went through um that looking back on it you wouldn't wish it upon anyone else but you're really grateful that it happened to you and you wouldn't take it back yeah, that's a good question. My problem is I have a really bad memory of my life. I don't remember a lot of things, um, I, which I think is like one of my superpowers, right? Is I don't like have this continual story. It's like, which allows me to constantly be reinventing myself. Totally. Um, but it makes it really hard for me to recall, like, you know, I, a lot of my struggles that were like really intense were like early in my life. You know, when I was younger and stuff, in the last few years, I I don't really know, other than, like, the day-to-day -day hardships, I can't think of a particular instance that I would, like, call upon that really defines my character. I'd say more it's just the day-to-day -day waves, man. It's like, there's a lot of ups and downs, and I try to just recognize those ups and downs as part of the fact that life ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And when I'm riding, and just the metaphor of waves has served me so well, because if you can just look at like your sad points as like, oh shit, the waves are getting turbulent. It really helps to know that like all waves pass and that no waves last forever. 
And no matter how hard they are and when they rock you and they sink you, I mean, you know, I broke up with my, my, um, my girlfriend recently and there was definitely some rocky waves there. Yeah. I can't think of any ways that I, <laughs> I mean, if I'm honest, <laughs> I got a funny story. So I had one particular really bad night where I was like really struggling to cope with what the waves were throwing at me and feeling very alone. Cause although I live in this house of many guys, it's like, um, you know, often I feel like there's me disconnected from like people of purpose and people of calling. And, uh, I was trying to run away from my feelings and I had some ketamine and I had some weed and I had some wine. I'm just going in on it, trying to like just disconnect and not feel, um, What's really interesting is how that night ended up because it started with me wanting to run away from my feelings and through the process, you ever done ketamine before? Uh, only once. So yeah. I want to spend some more time with okay, it at that, some point. That's yeah. been a very interesting substance to me because I'm relatively new to it too. And I'm just getting familiar and the times it, it's, it's taken me a little while to like learn like, what is this thing? Right. And one thing that I found is when I try to do it recreationally, it tends to pull me towards like <laughs> fucking deep soul purpose and like downloads. And like, I wasn't even trying to go here, man, but it's like, no, you're going here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I started doing this ketamine, just trying to disassociate from my emotions and end up getting these like <sighs> downloads. And it's like, get on the light pump. I'm like, oh, get on the light pump. I'm like, okay. I'll get on the light pump. <laughs> get on the light pump. I run this XP real quick. Will you explain what the light pump is? Totally. Yeah. So I have this bed over in my corner, uh, over here in my room and it's essentially a tattoo parlor chair with a bunch of transducers drilled to the bottom of it. And what it does is it blasts you with tactile frequency. Um, but what we've done is we've created specific mixes that we call XPs, short for experiences, that have specific sounds and specific uh, cueing to take you to different directions of state shifts. Um, so this particular one was all about connecting to calling, but the particular intention of it wasn't as important as the effect of what happened while I was on this substance on the table. Cause the table itself is pretty cool. It's neat up. But when you combine it with like the intention and the pharmacological aid, it becomes something entirely different. And I, while on this table, I start using my tools. I start breathing. I start cracking the mask. I start moving. I start fucking, it almost, if you look at me, it looked like I was had a demon. I was exercising. Um, and I came out of that experience and I threw the weighted blanket off and immediately went and ran laps around my block until I couldn't. And like, just felt so aligned and reconnected and refocused and all the weight of what I had been carrying just completely had evaporated. And it's just so interesting how I went from like, I'm just going to drown these feelings away and use this substance to escape. And then the substance just turned me and it was like, no, we're going to do the work and we're going to fucking. And then I came out the other side, like feeling changed. So I don't know if that's a good answer to your question. That's a good answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds like a really powerful experience. Yeah, man. I'd love to share it with you sometime. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where like, I go in the same boat where oftentimes like things that come up that I should feel, I'd rather escape because that's like the default program that over the course of my lifetime, I have cultivated these tools that have been very easy to escape in, but not good for processing feelings. Yeah. And oftentimes like you'll escape into these things and then you still like have those feelings there and eventually they come up, but really like they just want to be felt and move through you. Yeah. I, I like to remember that sometimes it's too much, you know, every once in a while, like, yeah, it's good to try to face your feelings and it's good to not try to escape them and drown them away. Sometimes it's, too much and you can't. And I think we need to have a little forgiveness for ourselves for mm -hmm. those times as well, because, you know, then we're just judging ourselves even harder for not being able to fucking face every wave that comes our way. And I, I, there's this story 
You know who Ram Dass is? Mm-hmm. It's a story of Ram Dass that I really enjoy. You know, fucking spiritual master teacher, lifelong meditator, like, has a stroke, right? And when he's having his stroke, he has this moment where he's like, all right, mindfulness. And he found that he couldn't do it. And I think that's really important to know that, like, no matter who we are, no matter how much we practice, sometimes we just can't. That doesn't mean there's not a way back. But I think that's important to know. Yeah, yeah, it's a reminder that you don't always have to. It's almost like you don't have to bypass the experience that you're in. You can just be present for it. And that's part of the process of finding your way back. Yeah, and that life is going to throw things at you that you no matter how many tools you have at your disposal, it's going to fucking rock you and it's going to take you deep. And um, sometimes the, the path forward is a really hard one to find. And um, yeah. yeah. It's a good reminder, though, you know, because um, we oftentimes want things to work out a certain way. And oftentimes when they don't, I think a lot of us go towards like guilt and shame and just placing these really high expectations on ourselves that no one could meet. Yeah. And sometimes we need a little external support. Sometimes we need somebody else to help us. And if not something else, not somebody else, something else, something outside of us. Sometimes we need to turn to something higher because what we have inside us isn't enough. I'm just coming to find, especially during like COVID and quarantine and being away from community that like community is so integral to who I am yeah. and my own personal well-being. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important for me too. I tend to be somewhat introverted at times and like just focus on me and focus on training, but the community is so crucial. Like i uh, very thankful for 10th planet right now. It's been a sanctuary during these COVID times. Yeah. Just being able to do Muay Thai and do you do any jujitsu as well and roll around? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got a recent injury. So I've been taking like two weeks off, but, um, just sticking to Muay Thai. Uh, I hope to be back soon on the mats rolling. And it's just, you know, it's good that like, there's something about, brotherhood in combat that is like a really deep sanctuary, you know, like when you're training to kill each other with people, the, the bond that you start to form is like, it's very deep and it's very fulfilling. And I think specifically as men, that's an important thing to have. Yeah. I think it's primal. I think it's part of our biology. Yeah. You know, and like, you can train that without ever actually having to execute. But through that training, you not only connect deeper to yourself, but connecting to these men and feeling like you're serving a purpose more than just yourself. I feel is what a lot of us are missing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I I definitely connect with just those deeper states of connection that come through some form of combat with, whatever group of people you're training with. I did a lot of wrestling. Yeah. So I, I definitely, the mat sometimes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I miss it. It would be really if cool. You're in need of community. It's a place. That's cool. what I've been, I've been training like five or six days a week. Cause I got nothing else going on right now. Nice. Yeah. I, I'm super blessed that community is something that I have not been lacking since moving here to Austin. I already knew of like, some slackliners here. So like I got into the slackline community pretty quickly. And then like the on it and human optimization community was available fairly quickly as well. And then, um, a few months after moving here, I started to get into the Tantra community and like ecstatic dance community. So it's nice. just been like this whole hodgepodge of people hey, that like Tantra ecstatic dance. Hit me up. I'd love to come. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make that happen. It's a little weird right now during these times, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll make something happen. So who do you, who do you see yourself being five to 10 years from now? I want to continue to refine my mastery of movement and I want to, hmm, who do I see myself being is a very different question than what do I want to do? You know, 
I just, it's, it's interesting because there's not a lot I want to change, but I just want to go deeper into the things that I already am, you know? So I want to continue to master more unconventional movement practices and learn more about biomechanics and learn more about how to help people who are injured and hurting. Um, I want to continue to be a force for popularizing transformative modalities. I want to I want to build my business around that. I want to have a community built around that. I want to, well, that's not who I want to be. I, you know, it's kind of like the interest effect. I get that. I want to, I want to be a person who is continuing to grow towards their purpose. And I think that's going to manifest as just a more refined version of what I am. You know, hopefully I have my blue belt by then, maybe even my purple belt. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. Just keep on track and continue to execute on the things that I've been doing. I think I could definitely get clear about some of that. I have a lot of goals about where I want to be and what I want to have accomplished, but not so much focused on who I want to be, which is an interesting lens to look at it through. What about you, man? Who do you want to be in five years? Um, I want to be just like, lean further into like this light that I have to offer and really show up as a powerful, limitless, loving leader, one that can hold the space for transformation and self mastery, not only for myself, but others within my community and those that, you know, like really need my help. I, I honor that. Like I'm in this situation where like I'm an old soul, having a young man's experience. So I want to be present for this young man's experience while also honoring that, like putting myself in community. That's really, really good. Um, will allow me to be the leader that I know I'm capable of being. Mm. Yeah. What are some of the things that you want to let go of within the next five to 10 years? You know, in a lot of ways, I'm really happy with the person that I am when I think about it. I, and previously I would have said something like, you know, some of my addictions like to weed, but here I am stepping away from that. So I'm really proud of that. Um, in the past I would have said, you know, I want to be financially stable because I spent a long time unfinancially stable and I was a big monkey on my back that really weighed me down. But I'm at a place right now where I'm more financially stable than I've ever been. So I guess what I want to let go of, I think the thing that I struggle with most is wanting to help the people that I care about. And that might sound a little oxymoronic because of course you should want to help the people that you care about. But at the end of the day, for someone like me who like really has dedicated themselves to trying to transform and trying to optimize, it can be really hard to watch the people that you love not doing the things that you think they should. I think that's one of the things that I struggle with most is like, really wanting to fix people. And, you know, when I see them hurting, when I see them broken, when I, especially when I care about them the most and like wanting to be like, Hey, I see the path. It's right here. We just got to go this way. But it's like, no, that's their path to journey on. That's really hard for me. I would like to get better at that. That's something I would like to, I don't know if I want to let it go because it's also something about me that I love, but it's something I would like to get better at working with and get more mindful about approaching and, and get more master, masterful and tactful about like, how can you give somebody a tool in a way that they accept it? Cause a lot of people are resistant, especially when it comes from somebody close. Mm-hmm. It's weird how we'll pay somebody, a random stranger to tell us something that if our best friend told us we would have written off just because you already have those biases with your friend. And that's something I've struggled with a lot. You know, I make the joke a lot of times in my relationship. They're like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I feel like I'm doing everything right. And with my friends, they'll be like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I feel like I'm nailing it. And people will be like, ah, you think you sound perfect. I'm like, well, you know, if I'm not like, please point out to me like where I can improve. I like to think that I'm very open to feedback and not defensive. You know, a lot of people are very defensive. You try to tell them like, Hey man, you could be doing this better. They're like, nah, you know, and for me, I try to be like, thank you. 
I appreciate that. Appreciate the the input. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. I feel like a lot of that is, um, you know, like just showing up for the work and becoming that person that, you know, really just holds that space. And then those people that you care about when they're ready, they'll naturally just come to you. Like it's, it's a, it's a vibrational pull. Yeah. When they're ready, I do believe that it's the hard part is wanting to them to be ready sooner than they are. Yeah. But I mean, like that's not, that's not actually your concern. Yeah. As much as like you get wrapped up in it and wanting to like really help people because you have this big heart and your relationships are very complicated things, man. Yeah. That's one of the things I would like to get better at relationships in the next five years. So are you speaking like sexual relationships or friendships or just relationships in general? I think all of them have this aspect that I'm talking about, um, where it's, you know, I used to be very like Aubrey Marcus oriented where I was like, you know, like do you boo? That was like my mantra for like my relationships. I was like, uh, you do what you want and I'm going to love you regardless. And that was really <laughs> naive. Because at the end of the day, relationships are about a lot of compromise. And like finding the line of compromise is not an easy thing. Finding the discernment to know how much do I compromise myself? That's the thing I think I struggle with most. That's why it's almost easier to be an introvert. It's almost easier to be alone. Because then I can just not compromise myself and just like do and live the way that I feel like I should. But at the end of the day, that's very unhealthy. We need other people. We need community in our lives. So I'm trying to figure that one out right now. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel that it's oftentimes mentally easier to escape away from the relationships, but not actually practical because we're not here to escape. We're here to live and be in it and learn from everything that this planet has to offer. Sometimes you need to escape. Yeah. It's yeah. like sometimes you hold on too long. It's just not a sustainable not, solution. Is what not I'm knowing at. where that line is, I think, is it's really difficult. It's really diff- it requires some deep soul searching, like really, like really listening and really stepping away and creating the space so that you can. I think it, all in all, like you need to create space so that you can even hear what the call towards that line is, because it it gets lost when interwoven. Um, that's been my experience at least. Have you used any tools or practices for deeper states of communication and vulnerability? Yeah. I think mindful check-ins are very important. I think like setting a space where it's like, okay, boom, we're going to drop in and we're going to check in. And like, this is a time for that because if you don't set it up as like, okay, this is a time for that. Then there's a lot of momentum that's being brought into things. And it's hard to raise issues just out of the blue because it's not always the right time. And it's hard to know the right time. So I think it's very important to create the space for those check-ins. I feel like there's never often like the right time for it. Yeah. Unless you create the space for those check-ins and you make it. And, you know, I like to try to like schedule that. I like to try to like build that in as a system of a relationship, but my last relationship that wasn't working. I mean, she, I wasn't able to get her to commit the time to intentionally live to the degree that I felt I wanted to and needed to. And that's what I was struggling with. Yeah. That can be really difficult. You know, just like, so much of it is communication, being vulnerable and laying everything out on the table. Yeah. But we're not taught that. Yeah. So for a lot of us, we're having to either like forego it and not do it or learn as we go on the fly. Um, sometimes there's books, there's other resources and like people that have spent more time in the relationship space, but it's not what we're taught in school. Something that I've been utilizing as a tool that my friend Rainbow taught me for just like authentic communication, especially with partners is just like desires, fears, and boundaries. And just being able to like 
open up with whoever you're sharing that with and lay everything on the table when it comes to each other's desires, fears, and boundaries. And that's been really, really helpful. I mean, there's so many tools out there, but they only work if you use them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, they only work if you use them. Yeah, I think we're really good at conceptually understanding things, but it's not until we have, um, we put them into action and have the experience of it to where we can actually integrate that and understand the full depth of what that has to offer. Yeah, it's, it's daily. It's a daily practice. Are there any, uh, like specific personal heroes that you haven't mentioned that? Oh, yeah. I have a plethora of personal heroes. Um, which ones come to mind? I really love Terrence McKenna. I really love Jason Silva. I really love Ram Dass. Ram Dass has been like my guru. Like he's my, he's my guy for like spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. I really uh, turn to his words when I'm suffering and have, learned a lot about myself and what spirituality means through me, through his teachings. So Ram Dass is a huge one. Joe Rogan, we talked about, um, I don't know, nothing else coming to mind at the moment, but there's a, there's a lot of, I try to try to build a pantheon of heroes to look up to. I think that's a very important thing. Is there any specific characteristics across those four specifically, like Terrence McKenna, Jason Silva? I think, I think the ability to articulate the ineffable is something I really look up to. Um, you know, that, that, that okayness with being your weird authentic self is a big part of it as well. That want to explore the unknown, that questioning of what is this? Like if you look at Joe Rogan, Terrence McKenna, Ram Dass, Jason Silva. Definitely Jason Silva. Yeah, they're all yeah. people who are like, what is this? Like, trying to, not just living life, but like really trying to like look deeper at like, okay, what is this thing that we all take for granted? I mean, Joe Rogan has that great bit where he's like, people are all walking around. Like, you know what you're doing? Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Okay, me too, me too. But really like, <laughs> who knows what the fuck we're doing, man? And like just taking that like deeper layer to look underneath the fog. Um, I think that is something that ties together a lot of my heroes. Sweet. And then I'm sure like you just reflect that mirror back inwards and it's, it's the same thing for yourself. Right. I mean, yeah, it inspires a lot of the, the works that I do, the transformative practices, the, the lifestyle I've chose is, is that knowing that the conventional path is not, uh, is not the only one mm. and that the way that people are living isn't necessarily right just because it is what we're doing. Um, you know, sitting mushrooms will help with that. Yeah. <laughs> mushrooms will really peel that layer back and show you how crazy life really is. Real quick. Yeah. Yeah. What was your first experience? <laughs> Uh, I think in high school, yeah, we took mushrooms and just being goofballs, just rolling around on a grass hill. I remember sitting in this elevator, just staring at the walls. You know, well, well before it was like an intentional medicinal use. It was just like a fucking drug that we were experimenting with, but it does its work regardless. Yeah, I mean, like it can definitely be magnified when the intention is ceremony, but. Like you said, it will do its work. And even just like the context in your brain that you have going into it, I think I feel like when you when you just have no context to what this experience is, it can just be an experience. But when you've preloaded yourself with like a bunch of interesting context that you can then take into the experience, it kind of is like a new lens to look at all that context through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, because so personally I've noticed doing ceremonies over the course of the past fuck man, like six, seven years now that 
there, it just seems like we're opening up deeper and deeper levels as I'm understanding myself deeper and doing work outside of the ceremony and like integrating the lessons, of course, but also cultivating the man that I want to be. And it seems that, you know, the medicine just holds space in different ways based off of praise the medicine, the, the man. context and where you're at. Yeah, dude, I, I'm on the psychedelic plant medicine boat firm believer that like it holds a capacity to transform majority it's one of, it's one of the big yeah, the big modalities the but specifically like you said the intention and the ceremony by itself it's one thing but when you stack it with a special space and different scents and different visual cues and some guidance that's when it the magic and maybe some breath work and maybe you throw some cacao in there the magic just gets amplified. And that's really the space that I like to play in, which is like, how can we take these pieces, plug them together, and then integrate properly afterwards to make it stick? Yeah, man. Have you have you guided any ceremonies before? Kind of. I've led workshops that were ceremonies, but they weren't like marketed like that. And I've led like little things. I definitely like aspire towards shamanism. It's definitely an archetype that I very much identify with, which is an interesting thing. I think the, the trait that I, I and I, I heard Terrence McKenna talk about shamanism years ago, and that's one of the things that inspired me to it. And one thing that's really interesting about the shaman is that the shaman doesn't, doesn't wear his shamanism too tightly, you know? It's like the, one of the key characteristics of the shaman is the ability to wear many hats and slip in and out of roles and uh, not be too firmly attached to any one mask that he wears. Um, so yeah, I identify with that archetype a lot. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Like both in the form of like medicine man, but also in the form of like, I just feel like I tap into magic here. Yeah. And I can hold space really well. We gotta get you on this light pump, man. Yeah, we gotta get on this light pump for sure. I'm excited for you to experience it. Yeah, me too, man. And I, I just like, I'm very grateful that we were able to ice bath and you had me for the hot on it and you've dropped in for this podcast. It's been really insightful. You know, like the first time I saw you when we connected, I was just like, you know, I knew. <laughs> you could tell, huh? Yeah, I knew we would connect on deeper levels than just, um, you know, surface introductions. So, yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to continually connecting with you and developing just like a stronger connection as brothers and hitting this life pump. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Just so you podcast people know, we're ending this with a big hug as soon as we turn these microphones off. Yeah. Um, hell yeah, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Much love and uh, peace. Thank you again for listening to this podcast with myself and Mateo. I know that there is some good value and insight when it comes to unconventional training and methodologies within this podcast. So may you you know, find some golden nuggets within it and apply those into your life. I know that I'm picking up a lot on breath work and cold therapy, thanks to him. And if you got some value out of this podcast, please share it. That's the biggest way that we can grow it. I, at this moment in time, have no interest in paying to advertise, nor do I feel the call at this moment in time to put advertisements on the podcast outside of my own business and my cultivation of performance coaching. So if that interests you, please reach out. I am here to be of service, expand your body, your mind, your spirit, allow you to release old stories, patterns, addictions. Essentially, I'm just going to be sharing with you everything that I've learned and the ways in which it has impacted my slackline practice, my highline practice, uh, the podcast, everything, you know, like I have so much to offer and I'm happy to share it with you. If you feel the call to, you know, step into a role of having me as your coach. And I'm so grateful to 
be a human, to be here, to serve as a mentor and a teacher for others through this sport of slacklining and highlining. It has just like absolutely changed my life and changed the way that I not only perceive the world um, and how I hold space for others. It's it's magic. It's straight magic. And it's a blessing to share my magic with you. So thanks for tuning in. Much love. Big love. Peace, y'all.